Before I get to my message this morning, I just I want to share something, and I, I think it's very relevant to a few people here, and I know it's a crazy story, but hear me out here this morning. My son used to work on a farm, a beautiful farm. It was probably about 160 k's, 180 k's away from Paul Elizabeth. And the first, the first 120 or 140 kilometers was on this beautiful toll road. It was magnificent. And you would get in your car, you could get your bucky, and you could just travel this magnificent road. And after 140 k's, you would turn right, and then you would have another 40 k's on the gravel road. And so the first 140 k's would take you just over an hour. The next three k's on the gravel road would probably take you 45 minutes, just that little section. But that wasn't the end. <laughs> that when you got to the gate of the farm, there were still four kilometers to the farmhouse. And those last four kilometers would take you over 30 minutes to get there because the road was that bad. But when you got to the house, and the house was nestled in this beautiful corner on a hill in the property, and as you stood on the, on the veranda of this farmhouse, you could just see for kilometers and kilometers dams and animals and wild animals running around. And it was fantastic. And I was just reminded this morning that, that often our journey in life isn't always easy. Sometimes that first 120 k's is fantastic. That first month of being a Christian, that first five years of being a believer is just the most magnificent time of our lives. And then we get to that, that next 45 minutes on the gravel road and it, it almost feels like the wheels are going to come off. It almost feels like, you know, what is going on around us? God, what is happening to my life? What is happening to my job? You know, what is happening to my family? And just it can't get any worse. We have that last four kilometers that you basically need a four by four just to get to the house. And this morning in worship, I just felt that so many of you on that last four kilometers. And it feels like it's taking forever to get to the house. It feels like every bump and every hole in the road, you feel it. And it feels like you're getting stuck at times. And it, it just feels like, you know what, you're never going to get to the house. But I want to say to you something. There's a view and there's a place that God is preparing for you. You see, when you get to the house and you get to stand on the veranda and you get to look at the sables and the blessed buck and the zebras running around, you quickly forget how tough the journey had been. You forget what those last four kilometers were like. You forget how hard it was. And I want to say to some of you this morning, and I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but you're so close to the house. You're so close to the view. You're this far away from standing on a veranda and just seeing God's glory being displayed in front of you this morning. And I want to say to you, don't quit. This is not the season to give up. This is not the season to become despondent. This is not the season where your life is falling to pieces. This is not the season where you don't know where the money's coming from, where the is coming from, or how your business is going to survive. This is merely the last four kilometers. You see, so often we get so caught up in the last four kilometers that we forget that we've already done 160. 
We forget how we've journeyed already. We forget the road that we've taken. And yes, sometimes it was great. And then sometimes, you know, the olifant compass had a truck turned over and you stand there for hours waiting for the pass to clear. And the other times you get on that road and there would not be one car in sight. And I don't know who I was speaking to this morning, but don't you dare quit. This is not... This is not our time to quit. This is our time to be stronger. This is our time to be bolder. This is our time to dig deeper than we've ever dug. Because I promise you, you're a few meters away God is about to do in your life. I want to, this morning, just chat with Maya, and I'll preach this sermon exactly seven years ago. Because on Wednesday, we were exactly seven years in this building. And I preached this very sermon seven years ago, and I believe God just said to me this week, you know, you need to preach this again. Because nowhere in history did we think that we would go through what we're going through right now. Is there anybody? Amen? Hello? Thank you. You know? We never thought that we'd face this. And let me tell you something, that if you had to tell me on the 1st of January 2020 that this was what the year was going to look like, most of us would have quit. We had no idea what was coming. We had no idea what is still coming. You see, but there's something that needs to shift in my life, and there's something that needs to shift in your life. And the thing is that we need to stop, we need to start moving away from everything and the noise around us and start to do what God has called us to do. Because now we find ourselves often on the island of self-pity. And we don't understand that there's a purpose and there's a calling for our lives and what God wants to do. And if you turn to the book of Nehemiah, it's, it's, it's a story. And I'm going to paraphrase this morning because I just, I just, I've got so much that I want to say that I just need to get it out there. But the story starts that Nehemiah has left and he's in the king's service. And one day Nehemiah is sitting and he hears, and he hears about a group of friends that have come back from Jerusalem. Now you can understand, Jerusalem was under siege, it had been overthrown by Babylon, it, the city had been destroyed, there was nothing left of this place, Jerusalem. The place of his presence. It had been destroyed. And so Nehemiah asks his friends and he says to, and they say to him, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province they are in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem have also been broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. And so it was that when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days. For I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And Nehemiah finds himself in a place of absolute distress for what has happened to, to Jerusalem. What has happened to, in a sense, the place where they grew up. The very place that God had prepared for his people. And when I read the scripture this week again, I thought, God, how many of us have got so caught up in our own world that we've forgotten what the church looks like? We've forgotten how much distress the church has been through. We forget about what the people are like in church and, and Christian and fellow believers. 
how much we've journeyed. It's been hard. It's been frustrating. I've seen people's hearts broken. I've seen marriages fall to pieces. I've seen businesses shutting down. But in the same breath, I've seen so many come to Christ. In the same breath, I've seen so many renew their relationship with God. So many people digging deeper than they ever dug before. And, and, it's, and it's that generation, it's the next generation that are, are more hungry than I've ever seen that generation be. And the story goes on and Nehemiah weeps and he prays to God and he says, God, what do I need to do? And he goes to the king and the king looks at him and says to Nehemiah, what is wrong with you? You're not sick and I've never seen you so distressed. And Nehemiah says, well, king, this is what has happened. And we have come from almost like the presence of God, Jerusalem, the house of God. is <clears throat> laying waste. And so the king says to him, well, I, I need you to go. And he asked him how long he will be and what is he going to do and how he's going to rebuild the city. And so he shares with the king his vision. He says, king, this is what I want to do and this is where I'm going to go and, and this is what I'm looking to do. Releases him with a blessing. And the word of God says that Nehemiah travels and he travels to Jerusalem to see what is happening there. And as he gets there, he starts to examine what is going on around him. He says, and, and then he carries on in verse 11, chapter 2. I'm going to read from there. He says, And so I came to Jerusalem and there was and there for three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do to Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one that I rode on. He said, verse 15 says, And so I went by in the night valley and viewed all the walls and turned back and entered the valley to return. And the officials did not know where I'd gone and what I'd done. And I did not tell them. I told them about the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials. And others who did this. Verse 17 says, And then I say to them, You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lays waste. Its gates have been burnt with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been a good, good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. You see, often at times we forget something that we're a family for a reason. God places us in body for a reason. And we're not here to, to, to be divided. We are to, to work together. We are to build a kingdom that the word of God says that cannot be shaken. We miss that. Because often there's so much fighting and there's so much bickering and there's so much arguing in family. And everything's chaos. And we don't know what things are going wrong. Things are happening in our lives. But there was this one thing that as Nehemiah just shared this vision, man, he got the hearts of the people. He got the hearts of the people. And I think they must have thought back, you know, to the good old days. They must have thought back what an incredible city it was and how amazing it was to live there and how the favor of God was upon them and how the enemy had come and destroyed it. And I think for many of you this morning, you're 
You think this time just come to absolutely deplete us. But you see, it took one man, one man, to say, you know something, I believe in my heart because I've spoken to my God that what we need to do, we need to do. And maybe you're that man or maybe you're that woman this morning that God is speaking to. That God wants to set right in your life. And God wants you more than anything to be committed to what it is that you've committed to. Church cannot be something that we just gather. Church cannot just be something because we read our Bible or we need to listen to Pastor Kurt preach or we love devil or Bronwyn's worship. Church has to be something that you and I belong to. It's something that we're part of. It's something that's going to burn, burn, burn deep inside of our hearts to see His kingdom come, to see His will being done, to see the lost come to Christ and those in Christ grow and to see our communities being changed. And we are going to change nothing if you and I constantly just want to sit in a chair and warm it and book a spot. That's not what it's about. You see, it's about getting our hands dirty. It's about getting involved in what God wants to do in and through us. And of course, with the minute that you start to do that, there's always opposition. There's always opposition. When we gave our life to Jesus, remember, my friends thought we were crazy. I remember when somebody asked me, uh, what church you got? And I told him, he says, oh, those happy, clappy people. And I didn't care if we were happy, clappy. I was just happy to be there. Because I found a place of belonging. I found a place what my heart was crying out for. And I'd been in the world for years. And I'd done everything that you can imagine. And I'd been there. And I'd, I'd done it. But when I came to Christ, everything changed. There was a different passion in me. There was a different desire in me. There was something that was burning in me that I couldn't explain, but I knew that I knew that I knew that God had called and spoken to me, that God had anointed me for a reason, for a purpose, and for a plan. And same as Nehemiah, the minute that he starts to speak about building the wall, the enemies around him, we know we read there in, in verse, uh, verse 90 says, But Sambalot, the Henrite, Tobiah, the Ammonite's official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of this. They laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? You will rebel against the king. And so immediately, before he even started to build, the enemy came. And let me tell you something, the enemy will always come. The word of God says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, what does that mean? That the enemy is going to come in like a flood. But he says this, oh, God will raise up a standard. And I want to tell you the standard that God raises up is not a church building, is not a denomination, is not YouTube. A church that God or a person that God will raise up is you. You're the standard that the world is looking for right now. You go read in chapter 3 of how they rebuilt the walls. And it's a long thing. You can go read it. But you know what amazed me? is that they built by family. Go read it. The word of God says that the Sutton clan, they built from Yah to Yah. And from Yah, the Jordan family built. And they built from Yah to Yah. You know? And then the Bushbees built from Yah to Yah. And then the Deezies built from Yah to Yah. 
And you know what the thing I want to say to you today is this? That when we link together, that we cannot form any weakness in our families. Because God has called every one of us to build together. You see, that, that if the Jordan failed to build their wall, guess where the enemy is going to come in? Even the Suttons build well, and the Dizzies build well, and the Bushbees build well. But if the Jordans don't build well, guess where the enemy is coming in? And the word says they built and then they replaced the gates and they built and they replaced the gates and they rebuilt and they replaced the gates right around the city. Excuse me. And I think we miss that in family and church. That every one of you have got a piece of wall to build in the kingdom. And if you're not going to build your wall, that is where the enemy will come to rob, to kill and to destroy in your life. Every one of you got a piece of wall to build in your family. Be it a father, be it a mother, be it a son, be it a daughter, whatever it might be. You've got your place to build. I built this section because I'm dad. And then Chantal builds this section because, you know, she's mom. And Jessica's got this section in my family to build because she's daughter. Josh has got this section to build in the family because he's a grandson or my son. And then Donovan's got this because my son-in-law. We all got a place that we need to build. But when we fail, what happens? Everything starts to fall to pieces. And the word says that as soon as Nehemiah was building and, and as they were giving, each person was given their, their section to build. He says they started to become rumors. Rumors. Skinner. Hey, and Sambalot and Tobiah and Gershwin, they thought, well, we're going to attack. But you know what happened? The word of God says that their plan to destroy Jerusalem again was revealed to the people in Nehemiah just ten times. And so what they then did was they said, well, this is very simple. They put men on the inside of the wall and said, well, there's certain men that now have to guard and be the soldiers and others that have to build. And then he said they got to a place where every man that built, built with one hand on the brick and one hand on the sword. You can go read it and I'll read it to you. He says, in verse 17, chapter 4, he says, It says, to the, those who built on the wall and those who carried the burden loaded themselves so that the one was, was one hand on the sword as they worked construction and with the other hand on their weapon. You see, sometimes we get so busy building that we forget that we're in a battle. Ephesians says to us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and forces of this dark world. And sometimes we forget that sometimes we need to work with the hand on the sword and the hand in the brick when we're building. And what I'm saying to you, what I'm saying to you is you need to get in this into your life. Because you can do all the great stuff and you can be an apostle and you can be an evangelist or you can lead worship or you can do jaw duty, whatever it might be. If you don't have your sword in your hand, the enemy is going to destroy you. The enemy will destroy you. And this is not a heavy message. This is, I'm saying to you, it's time to rebuild. 
COVID has not destroyed the church. We are the church. We're still standing. But it's time for a little bit of a boot camp. It's time that we get serious about the things of God. From next week, we're allowed to have 250 people in our building. And we're going to do it. Two services. You've got to look online. You don't have to fill in the whole form. Just send your name and who's coming with you. That's it. But there's a rebuilding thing that needs to take place. And I don't want to build this church and who we are and as a family the way we did it a year ago. We want to do it new and fresh. We want to do it with fresh vision, with people that are burning with passion, that people understand that their sword is in their hearts and they carry it, that every one of us are prepared to build and put our brick down and build in front of our own house. And that's the great part about the scripture because every family, it seems to me, first built and restored the wall that was in front of their own house before they helped anywhere else. And you see, it's easy for us to always go build someone else's wall. Hey? We always want to go, oh, let me help you sort out your problems. The only reason you want to sort out your problems is because you don't want to face your problem. The problem is that if you don't fix your wall, guess where the enemy is going to come in? In your gap. And say, so we want to build a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If we want to build a church that is on fire, if we want to see revival happen in this generation and in this year and in the years to come, we've got to start right here. You see, the Southern Wall first has to be you know? And then the Nimad wall has to be strong. And what does that mean? Well, it simply says this house divided will fall. A house divided will fall. Shantan Masafa probably had the most emotional week of my last ever. When I think about the week, I want to cry. I don't think my wife stopped crying for five days. The craziness is happening around us. And the madness is happening around us. And you all know what I'm talking about. I'm not even going to just put it out there. We had to watch people and family members and our sons go through this stuff. I'm thinking, what the hell is happening in the world? Oh, but God says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, oh, he's going to rise up Sean. He's going to raise up Kenny, he's going to raise up Kathy, he's going to raise up Wally, he's going to raise up Gareth, he's going to raise up Twenty and Mike. Well, I better mention a woman's name because she's... And, and Samantha. You're the standard that God wants to raise up. And there's one thing that I've had to learn this week, and I've read the scripture 550,000 times. In Romans 8.28, it says that God will work all things for the good of those who love Him, believe in Him, and who are called according to His purpose. And I want to say this to you. If you can read that thing, you've got to understand it. You've got to understand it, that when the enemy comes, and when you lose your job, and when your family is going through hardship, and your marriage is going through a difficult time, you've got to believe that scripture that says that God is going to work this for the good if you just let Him do it. Let go and let God. Let go and let God.
Romans 8, in the TPT version, verse 28, says it like this. It says, so we are convinced. Listen to this. We are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit in God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. You know what that means? That even when things are bad, God is still working them for the good in our lives. That even when we break a leg, I remember I had a motorbike accident with these hillbillies a couple of years ago, and I remember laying in the hospital bed with a broken leg and a broken arm from motocross or enduro, whatever we were doing in the bush. And somebody came to me and said to me, Kurt, don't worry. God's just trying to teach you something. <laughs> I nearly left the ministry. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't come from this elegant background and I've done some stuff. But if God's going to keep breaking my legs to teach me a lesson, I'm not going to last long in the ministry. I'll perfectly be on crutches. And I thought, that's nonsense. The word of God says that the devil comes to rob, kill, and to destroy. But God has come to give us life abundantly. The, 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 the Amplified says, exceedingly abundantly more than we can ever imagine. Imagine that. Exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine. That is the life that is purpose for us. And so when the enemy does come in, and when things do go wrong, and we do lose our jobs, and our marriage do go difficult times, and our finances aren't that well, we need to have the spirit of Nehemiah. He says a simple thing, he says, and he prayed this in closing. Chapter 1, verse 5. And I said, I prayed, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ears be attentive and your eyes be open that you may hear the prayers of your servant which I pray before you today. You see, every solution, every problem that we face, solution starts on our knees. The problem we have in life is that, that we always want to fix everything. But we're never prepared to see God in what he wants to do. That if we go into a hard time, Father, what is it that you require of me right now? But now we first run to the bank. You know, well, then we go borrow money somewhere first. Or we go do everything else that we shouldn't do. Instead of going to God first. So, Father, what is it in the situation that I need to do? What is it in the situation, Father, that I need to do? Because your word says that you're going to work it for the good. You're going to work it for the good. Me, you're going to work it for the good. And I simply have to love and believe in you and know that I've called to a purpose and a plan. And so we might be facing the craziness season ahead of us. We might be facing some stuff that we don't even know how to handle going forward. But I need to tell you this. God's done this before and he will do it again. God poured out revival before, and he will do it again.
Heidi said to the other night that something had just stuck in my head during a prayer meeting. And she said this. She says, sometimes in life, we just need to turn around and glance back from where we come. Because sometimes we forget what we've already journeyed. Because we're so focused on everything that looks impossible in front of us. And this week, I want to ask you, when last have you just taken a little book back, taken a little look back at the cross, and between where I am right now and that day, what God has really done for me? Because he will do it again. I can say to you one thing today. I can say this without any thought of this being a lie. He has never let me down. You know, when I came into the ministry, God said to me, you never need or lack. Just do what I called you to do. Does that mean I ate fillet steak every day? No, 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 no. We went through weeks where we just ate potatoes because there wasn't money in the house. But I thank God that I had potatoes. And you see, we always want the big stuff from God. No, we always want God to provide the fillet because then it's God. But we don't believe that he's the God of the potato as well. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we miss the little provision that God has given us. Sometimes God, we forget that everything starts small. And yes, he has never let me down. In 20 years of ministry, I've never gone hungry. In 20 years of ministry, nothing has ever been repossessed in my house. In 20 years of ministry, I've never had any summons or blacklisting or anything. And let me tell you something. There were times in ministry where there wasn't money. There wasn't money. You know why I'm telling you this? Because I want to tell you that if God can take me 20 years ago and tell me that you're never going to need or lack even your life again, and I'm still standing here 20 years later, and I haven't lacked, and I haven't needed, I want to say to you, you can journey the same thing. You're the standard that God wants to raise up in this generation. They call us the COVID generation. We're not COVID generation. We're not having COVID babies. We're not having COVID marriages. We are in the presence or in the present place where God is about to do something extraordinary in our lives. Amen. Let's stand. And I want you to bow your head this morning. And I know you guys have, oh, I sound like Cyril Ramaphosa, we've endured much. But we have endured much. We have endured much. And I know there's craziness in this nation. But you know something? I don't know about you, but I've always believed that God has his hand on Africa and South Africa. There's not a country in the world that can say that they had a recovery rate of nearly 
Don't tell me there's no God. Tell me our prayers have not been answered. We could caught up in the corruption and the looting and all. No, 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 no. Let's get caught up in the God of the impossible. Because we're here six months later. We're still having church. We still got food on the table. We're still seeing miracles and signs and wonders happening in our midst. Why? Because he's a good God. And so I bless you today. I pray that God will cause his face to shine upon you. I pray that God will give you favor in the season. I pray that God will give you direction and vision in the season. But there's one thing you've got to understand, like those men said to Nehemiah, let us rise up and build. It is our time to rebuild. It is our time to release Jesus to the nations. It is our time to build our section of the wall so that the enemy would not come in. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I pray today for a fresh anointing of every person here. Father, next week we're going to probably be 250-odd people in this building, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to dance, and we're going to rejoice in your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And Father, we're excited to get the family back together next week. We're excited to see each other. We're excited to know that you had your hand in us through this whole pandemic. And so come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, don't forget that 071 number. Just book. You don't have to fill in the whole form. Just simply say, the Kashula family times 4, 1030. That's all we need. So we can just get the list and everything ready and we can get you prepared for what God is doing. Amen. But let's close in the song.